What is up, everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com, broadcasting as usual on Fridays at Jiu-Jitsu class. And what that means is for my son's Jiu-Jitsu class, that is. What that means is uh, after this, we have pizza and we watch The Mandalorian. So it's been a, a great tradition for a number of weeks now, and uh, we all look forward to it. Uh, and speaking of The Mandalorian, uh, we were able to go see uh, Star Wars yesterday. Now, I won't give any spoilers or anything like that, so you know, no spoiler alert here. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, we were able to go see this uh, early showing, and uh, and I was curious to see what Atticus was going to say about this because uh, he is like the biggest Star Wars fan that you'll ever meet, and uh, he had some pretty strong opinions about. Uh, episode seven and eight particularly eight um he was not a fan of eight like he thought they messed up a lot of stuff uh i'm not a star wars guy completely uh aside from just you know living with the biggest star wars fan ever <laughs> uh but uh as as far as a movie goes like i liked episode eight uh and so to have him say that he didn't i was like okay well tell me why he says well dad you just have to know all of the ins and outs of Star Wars. So here, let me tell you what uh, was wrong. And so he lists them off, and I go, oh, I don't know. I thought it was entertaining, anyways. But for Episode Nine, I was curious to hear what he was, what he had to say. And uh, uh, man, he loved it. He loved it so much that he actually saw it a second time today. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people are are uh, like the whole world basically is uh, has been waiting for tonight to see it for the first time ever. And, and, you know, Atticus has already seen it twice and <laughs> he loves it. And, uh, there's probably like a, what, like a 40 shoot, like 45, uh, minute drive or so home from the theater last night. And, uh, we both agreed that that simply was not enough time to, uh, to, uh, talk about the movie. So, uh, anyways, it was, it was a great time. He enjoyed it. Uh, we had some friends that invited us over uh, to see this uh, early viewing. And uh, it's the first time we actually have ever seen a movie uh, early like that also. So it was kind of fun. Uh, but so for tonight, uh, what I wanted to do is uh, talk about, guess what? <laughs> Baseball cards. <laughs> so you don't get a whole lot of uh, of uh, deviation from uh, from cardboard here on this podcast, obviously, because it is about baseball cards. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and, and I'll probably camp out here until I have to go and you know, order the pizza uh, from my phone here, but uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, what happens when you branch out in collecting. Uh, now, I bring this up because uh, I find it interesting. Uh, I know that for uh, when I was a Canseco Super Collector, I literally didn't care about anything else as far as cards go. like. Nothing else. There, there was literally nothing else out there that interested me one bit whatsoever. So what that means is, um, as a super collector, what you tend to do when there's nothing out there and you collect something like so narrow as like just a certain player and you already have most of the cards out there, you start placing extra value in your mind on cards that aren't really all that special. So that happened to me a lot with uh, when it came to uh, uh, parallels and all these other different proofs and everything, uh, where I probably wouldn't have cared all that much otherwise, but um, 
it was fun because it was kind of like adding to my like my you know collection and the rainbows that I was completing even like for I don't know just as an example like uh, 95 Stadium Club 94 Stadium Club one of those two uh, they used uh, different types of rainbow foil uh, and when I say rainbow foil I mean like actual foil without a holographic property at all it, it was just like from blue to green to yellow to orange or whatever and some of the cards that were that were stamped with this foil had different foil variations so because it was it was just like a rainbow wave so you know depending on where they stamped from the from the foil uh would dictate kind of what would actually show up on the card so not really a parallel but um you know for me i said well shoot we can make this parallel so you know you have like 15 to 20 different variations you know one that might just be blue and purple another that might be red blue and purple one that might be green blue and you know purple or whatever you know so so that's kind of uh uh what i did and i think what a lot of people do when their collecting focus is so narrow and there's nothing wrong with being super narrow uh but you know it is interesting to kind of maybe keep an eye on on uh if you actually uh take a uh uh a strong liking to cards that you probably wouldn't just because you might be bored perhaps <laughs> and uh you know another thing also is when your collecting uh focus is so narrow and you're trying to be like a completionist in you know one way shape or form uh you might place an extreme value on a card that's like super rare that's not really all that special and uh I've seen that happen a lot also, which is kind of fun. It's it, it adds to the fun of the hunt, like the thrill of the hunt, like finding that like obscure cereal card, breakfast cereal issue from like 1987, right? You know, and you don't think it's ever going to show up and then all of a sudden, voila, it does. And I think that stuff's fun. I really do. Uh, however, uh, one thing that I found whenever I uh, uh, sold off and uh you know first of all when it comes to a lot of those obscure cards the value that you place on those a lot of times aren't going to be the same for everybody else um their value is peaked in your brain because you know you've placed high value in it because it's super rare and you you weren't necessarily able to find anything else to pick up so um you know which is fine because you know you're I, I understand you'd be a collector, you know, first and then, you know, sell, worry about selling later, if at all. Um, but anyways, one thing I found was like very interesting is uh, um, I always had this thought in my head, like if I were to sell my Conseco collection, what kind of a vintage collection could I, uh, could I amass? Like what cards could I, could I get? So a lot of these cards I had, like for instance, a lot of the oversized cards and proof cards and and like super new like cards out of 25, 15, 10. And a lot of these are like not wildly expensive when you're talking about cards out of 25 or something um, or these proofs or oversized cards. Uh, but I always wondered like, what if I were to have sold all those and you know get like just a few like really nice cards, like a, a handful of like highly valuable cards of Ty Cobb, Honest Wagner, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Um, it, it kind of, I don't know, I feel like a light bulb kind of came on for me when I was thinking about that. Because I would look at my cards and say, okay, what do I have here? I've got a bunch of these uh, these variations of cards of Jose Canseco, right? And you know, a lot of them will be five, ten, 
$20. So I had so many of them. And I was thinking if I weren't like a Canseco super collector back then, um, what would I rather have? Would I rather have like this, uh, you know, 1948 leaf Jackie Robinson rookie? Or would I rather have like this huge pile of like, uh, you know, Canseco parallels that aren't exactly like super desirable to everybody else in the world. But um, it was just something that was kind of interesting for me to think about. So as I ended up selling out of everything, uh, I, uh, I started, I don't know what it was. I think it, it probably took, took me a couple months. And even before then, like after I, after a while I, I said, okay, well, I sold everything. Obviously I've got to get back into some Canseco cards that I love. And I did that super happy with my collection right now. Like y'all, I'm like so pumped about what I have. I just love looking at those dang cards of Canseco. Um, but, uh, you know, they're like, I've got like a, uh, uh, a fraction of what I used to have, but it's, they're like all super meaningful to me. Uh, but whenever I, uh, you know, stepped away from that and said, okay, well, wait a second, all of my collecting finances, so to speak, uh, quote unquote, are not specifically laser focused on Conseco anymore, not by a long shot. Uh, what else is there? So I remembered when I was thinking about earlier, like, what key cards can I get? And then I started doing some research into like old judge baseball cards, the original Allen and Ginter cards. Like I get goosebumps, like thinking about, uh, these, these pieces just, they're so cool. They're so cool. Um, you know, the T205s, T206s. And, uh, so whenever I look into something like this, the first thing that I do is I try to research the heck out of these cards because ultimately, number one, I want to, whenever I buy cards for my collection, I want to make sure that they are good buys and that I can make money on them later whenever I sell. It doesn't make sense to do it otherwise, unless, you know, you just don't really care about making money. You care more about, you know, fulfilling an exciting need that you have or not need, but want in your, in your brain, uh, immediately. And so, uh, you know, for, and look, that's how the rest of the world basically operates is they say, okay, I, um, as an example, um, let me think, let me think of a card here. I want a 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth. Okay. I, I want to beat up 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth and they see one for three grand and they go, okay, I've got three grand. I'll go ahead and drop it on one of those cards. Um, and voila, I have a Babe Ruth and man, I love it. So for me, the way that I like to do it is I like to look first to see what Babe Ruth sell for. Uh, like, let's say for example, the 33 Ruth Gaudi. And, and before that, even I determined myself what I liked because there's four different flavors of 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth, which, uh, uh, interestingly enough, like a little fun fact, Lou Gehrig was not, uh, oh yeah, he was wait, uh, Babe Ruth was not in the set of 34 Gaudi, if I remember correctly, which is kind of crazy. Um, so, uh, I looked at these four Babe Ruths and I did not want to get like all of them. Cause it's just, it's very costly to have Babe Ruths in any condition. Right. Uh, I really just wanted one. And so what I did is I picked, uh, picked the one that I, that I consider to be the, uh, uh, the most popular, which is, I think card number 144. It's a full body shot. Uh, the other three are like waist up 
kind of deal or chest up or whatever. Uh, the full body shot is more colorful. Uh, it's more iconic. And so, uh, so that's what I did first. So first and foremost, what I did was I determined which one I wanted. From there, what I did is I researched heavily on what prices, what the prices were for these cards, uh, for that baby specifically. Um, after I got a feel for it, I looked not only at the numerical grade, but uh, also the uh, the eye appeal. For me personally, especially when getting lower grade cards, you really got to pay attention to the eye appeal because you could have a you know PSA one or two look like it's been carried in your wallet since you were in junior high, like beat up to death and just terrible. Uh, or you could have some PSA ones or PSA twos that look pretty darn good, like no creases on the front uh, or not very noticeable creases on the front, but maybe a, a little spot of paper loss or something on the back. That is what I target. So a lot of people might say, okay, PSA one, Babe Ruth, bam three grand, no problem, I'll do that. I'll save up, I'll sell my collection, whatever it takes to get this Babe Ruth. Now for me personally, what I like to do is I like to be patient a little bit um, and try to get something like, for instance, a Babe Ruth that might be, maybe someone might sell for 2,500 or 2,600 uh, and go about it that way instead. Uh, because what happens is, you know, first of all, these cards, in my opinion, they're probably never going to decrease in value. They're probably going to just continue to increase. So, which <laughs> that leads me to another point. Don't be too patient when it comes to vintage cards. Uh, you got to be a little patient to find the right deal, but you know, you don't want to be too patient or else the price is going to keep going up on you. Uh, anyway, so that's what I like to do because if I have 2,600 into a Babe Ruth, that's a PSA one, for example, uh, and they're selling for about three grand. Well, I know that I'll be able to, uh, you know, make a little bit of money if I need to get out of it or want to get out of it. That feels a heck of a lot better than paying, you know, 3,200 or three grand and finding out that I can only get 2,800 after fees or something. So, you know, that's, uh, so that's kind of how I operate as far as, um, uh, getting any cards go really. I mean, I probably fudge a little bit on the Canseco stuff if I if I love it enough and there's only one or two because problem is is you don't really have that luxury a lot when it comes to like cards that are one of ones or out of fives because if there's a one of one that you're in love with and uh, you know let's say it's like three hundred dollars or something and you're like oh I'd like to have that for two fifty or two seventy five well the problem is if you love it enough. Uh, all it takes is one other person to say 300 I'll take it and they take it and it's gone <laughs> and you don't have a chance of getting another one <laughs> so uh, but anyway so as a uh, as I continued on my uh, on my journey after uh, you know post super collector dim uh, I wanted to continue to see what was out there and I actually did this I actually started up a little side project beforehand of uh, of sealed wax boxes there from a sealed case uh, authenticated wax boxes from a seal case uh, from the 80s and I just enjoyed it like it was such a fun thing and then I was able to look through some 90s cards and 2000s cards of uh, players that I just had no clue that certain sets uh, were out there and it turned out they were like just beautiful so um, it's funny how many ways you can get sucked into baseball card collecting like there are just so many ways you could do like 
vintage, like pre-war, post-war. You could do certain sets. You can uh, do certain teams, players, obviously. You could do only the 80s, only 70s, only the 50s, uh, 60s. You could do like uh, only 90s inserts, only parallels. Do parallel collecting, uh, parallel set completing. I mean, just, you know, the options are just like limitless. It's amazing what you can do. Um, and so that was kind of fun for me, just like a fun little learning uh, experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. And I, I talked about this a few weeks ago on my podcast also that sometimes it takes having some cards in your hand to see if, uh, if you really like it. And the, and the trick is to make sure that you don't waste your money. You got to make sure, uh, guys, that you like buy these cards right. Uh, so that way, if you do want to sell air, you can at least recoup your money. And uh, I did that with a couple of refractor sets, for example. Like I, I was thinking about possibly putting together or, you know, collecting just complete sets of, uh, ref- of refractors. And uh, I had a few sets and then, uh, gosh, they just didn't really speak to me. So about a week later, I ended up getting rid of them. I said that today with some uh, Transformers, by the way, y'all. Like, I uh, I picked up a uh, G1 Transformer Devastator set, and uh, the Devastator is like a it's a Transformer Decept- Decepticon combiner where you have all these construction trucks. They're the lime green ones. Uh, there's like six Transformers, and then they all join together to make one bigger Transformer. Like I love that. Like it's <laughs> so cool. I also got uh, a a big bag of like uh, smaller. Transformers and GoBots, and uh, after I looked at them, I go, you know, I, I really don't think these are for me. I think I want to go a different way. So, I, so what I'm doing is I'm going to end up doing some uh, uh, some bigger pieces that are actually new releases. Which, first of all, I never thought in a million years I was going to go. I was going to go that route when it came to Transformers and everything. But here I am, <laughs> and so uh, you know. But the true the trick was was to make sure that I get those uh, those transformers at the right price. And I did. And so two things happened. Number one, uh, I was able to look at them in hand and go, okay, yeah, I don't think these are for me. And number two, sell them so I was able to get my money back and make a little extra on top of that. So um, now I know a direction that I don't, that I don't want to go, at least yet. Um, so which provided me with like some very good uh, information for my, for my own collecting habits, uh, where, you know, maybe I know now that I do want to just go with like the masterpiece transformers or, uh, you know, giga power or whatever it is. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I've learned a lot about transformers (laughs) over the past week. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Um, uh, same with the Voltron, you know, I didn't know if I, uh, wanted to go with like a vintage, Voltron or a newer one. So um, I actually have two sets coming in, one that's uh, from Panache Place of 1984 and one that's a GX71, uh, which is a release over the past few years. So Panache is something that I grew up with. Like I had one of those lines, like the blue line, if I remember correctly. So nostalgia kind of kicked in for me to want to get that and I ended up getting the rest of the set. Um, and uh, I distinctly remember, like I was six or seven years old, and just being bummed because my folks were like, yeah, we can uh, get like one line for you each year or something. We can't get all of them. You know, they're expensive, but we can get one line for each year. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be like 95 years old, you know, before I have all of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I decided, okay, let's let's go ahead and see uh, if I wanted to get that or if I want to get another. So 
uh, I ended up doing like I always do, researching the heck out of the pricing and everything and seeing the types there are, uh, which is a little different. I feel like I'm a bit out of my depth when it comes to these, to Voltron and Transformers. Uh, but yeah, same thing with people that are just getting into baseball cards also, really. I mean, it's just, it's an item and it has sales history and you could look up what they sell for. So anyways, I ended up picking up that Panache Place uh, set, which is a, a plastic set and uh, this GX71 after watching, like y'all, I don't know how many YouTube videos. <laughs> I've watched more YouTube videos about Transformers and Voltron over the, uh, over the past week or so than I have you know, in my whole life. So I don't know if that'll continue or not, but it's really fun, real fascinating. But anyway, so I, I picked up both those sets and I've got a strong feeling that I might sell one of them uh, while, you know, probably being able to make a little money off of it and keep the one that I want. So uh, we'll see how that, how that works out um, in the future. But anyway, so going back to baseball cards though, it's the same thing. Like, it's uh, it's all about branching out, and you might find that you could possibly be super passionate about a certain sect of collecting um, that's kind of your like sideshow, so to speak, if that makes sense. Um, and you know that would be really cool to to find out if you can be like super passionate in another type of collecting. Um, so that's one thing to think about. Uh, obviously. The other thing, like I said, buying right, because you want to make sure this isn't a financial drain on you, because uh, that would be a big bummer. That kind of puts a, uh, takes a lot of fun out of, out of collecting right there. <laughs> but um, anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of ways you can go. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, yeah, maybe consider branching out. And, and also another thing when you're, if you're a completionist uh, or you're hyper-focused on a certain team or player, it's admirable. I, uh, I like that idea. It's it's fun to be able to kind of go for other people, uh, you know, root for them to get all those rare cards and everything. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you know you might find that you're compelled to pick up these cards that you weren't otherwise so like they aren't otherwise like uh, interesting or cool at all <laughs> for for lack of a better term. Like they're just not not cool cards, but you get them just because like they fit inside of your, uh, your collecting genre, so to speak. So, um, so all that to say, uh, if, if you can like tap the brakes on that a little bit and look at some other cards, uh, that you might love, then, uh, yeah, maybe that's something for you to do. Uh, for me, I'll tell you what though, like guys, like I've got some PSA graded, uh, uh, key rookies or PSA nines and PSA tens. I don't really have like a passion for a lot of those. Like, uh, I've got, a, uh, you know, not a complete run, but like a lot of guys from the eighties, um, like, you know, the a two tops traded Cal Ripken Jr. It's PSA nine, 80 tops, uh, Ricky Henderson, great PSA 8.5, 89 upper deck Griffey PSA 10, um, you know, so some of them are, are really cool like that. Uh, I don't know if I have like in you know, an extreme passion or desire for those cards though, you know, and that's fine. I mean, there'd be some, like even with some, uh, you know, some other cards that I was, that I liked a lot whenever, you know, during the season, 
uh, like some Astros players and stuff that I really liked, but you know, I'm not as big of a fan. Maybe that's just because they're not playing right now. I think it's a little different <laughs> uh, whenever you're hearing them play on the radio every day. So that's that's a different deal. But um, uh, anyway, so yeah, I don't know. I just uh, encourage you to, you know, later tonight or something, you know, think about this just just for fun. I mean, not to I'm not calling you to action to do anything, but you know, think about that for a second. Like if you had all of the money uh, that you put in your collection or half of it or whatever, and you had to put it back in the hobby, but it could not be in the same, uh, uh, in the same genre that you're in right now, what would you do with it? You know, think about it and, and think about also what you could get. So just a fun little exercise and, uh, you'll never know you, you might, you might surprise yourself. So, uh, anyways, that's all for tonight. Thanks guys for uh, listening. I hope you'll have a fantastic weekend. Uh, please uh, like, share, and subscribe on this podcast. And uh, yeah, you all enjoy your weekend.